Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. This is part two of our look at Dinner Ladies, the Victoria Wood sitcom from the late 90s. We are in the midst of discussing a specific episode, that's Series 2, Episode 2, Trouble. And we've already talked about some of the main players. Victoria Wood we've covered, that's in the first half, so go and listen to that if you haven't already. We've talked about some of the other actors. We we haven't talked about Julie Walters yet, we haven't talked about Anne Reid yet, so we've got all that still to come, and a little bit more dissection of the show itself. So if you're ready, let's jump straight in. Well, yeah, so as, as Dolly arrives, we, we start to establish the fact that Jean, her husband, has left her. And mm. so she's been in a, a foul mood for the last few days. And they're all, they're all a little bit scared because she's been difficult to be around. But, but just plot wise, we're finding out here. Okay. So the husband that she's, she spent a few episodes moaning about has now left. Mm. You've run off with the dental hygienist. And again, this is something that is dropped on us kind of from a great height. This is. Mm. This is presented as is. We we haven't had any build up like, oh, I think my husband might be up to something, like anything like that. We did see both Dolly and Jean's husbands in a previous episode, mm-hmm. and they're both just kind of these use, useless men <laughs> in their own ways. You know, it's kind yeah. of like, oh, my husband, oh, I'm going to moan about him, but you know, ultimately we'd never split up because we yeah. just stuck together forever. But what we get here is, oh well, the husband's moved on. He's found himself a thin-lipped dental hygienist. Uh, who's probably much younger. I'm sorry, but but uh, you've got me again there. Thin-lipped. Oh, <laughs> yeah. what a wonderful adjective. Just an unnecessary insult to just throw in. What writing? We, we have no reason to think that her husband, what we've seen of him, who could kind of woo a younger woman or anything. So Jean, Jean did not see this coming. And perhaps that's a deliberate writing. We get it dropped on us as an audience. Mm-hmm. In this, and we, mm-hmm. we, Jean is dealing with the consequences. But in the same way that Jean's been hit like a ton of bricks by this, you know. Yes. It's the betrayal. It's the, it's the tumult. It's the complete unanchoring of your life. Mm-hmm. Even if that is a negative anchor it's like when stan's dad dies yes it's a release but then like oh god i'm free what do i no, do I'm drifting yeah and and gene's dealing with that but also what we're really getting here is the sort of bitter <laughs> hatred and, and the and the um so gene's angry and lashing out at, at everyone yes and then the problem being she's lashing out at everybody else and yeah. so she's driven dolly to needing a mars bar yes yeah, so Do- yeah, so dolly <laughs> calorie obsessed is gonna screw it all i'm eating this mars bar i just wanted to hold it <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a lovely uh there's a lovely bit of acting from thelma bar there she she smells the mars bar <laughs> in, in the wrapper <laughs> yeah yeah well i'll tell you what so gene doesn't arrive so basically the this this scene climaxes with the arrival of gene but before gene arrives all the others arrive so so we we, we talked about dolly the next one in is anita so mm. tell me about uh the actor who plays anita yeah well have you ever seen uh, shobna galati in anything else well I, am i right in thinking she's also in coronation street she's a regular on coronation street. yeah so, yeah, so well, the answer to your question is no i haven't but i don't yeah, watch coronation exactly street. because who's seen coronation street it's certainly if you look on imdb this is shobna galati's first credit mm. so it's a first tv thing obviously she's been doing stuff before that but it might be it might be more stage or whatever She's like the rest of these, brought up in you know Lancashire and brought up in Oldham. I don't know much. I couldn't find much about her like early life. Her parents mm. are Indian, so she's second generation. Yeah, 
she's not the obvious kind of, oh, was an actor all her life. She went to university and studied mm-hmm. Arabic and Eastern politics. Oh, that's interesting. So obviously nothing to do with drama particularly. Mm. And I don't know much about her before 1998 when she's doing this. Uh, she she moved to London at some point. I presume that was to pursue acting as a career. Yeah. But also she had a child in the mid-90s like as a single mother, you know, the, the okay. man wasn't involved. And that is not something that you can tie in easily with a a, a struggling acting career. You know, no, that is not yeah, yeah, something. Yeah. So I presume she wasn't working much as an actor because she was raising a child. Yeah. And But I think that's very interesting. That little life story of hers, which I don't know the details of it, but it's very interesting com- considering what comes later with Anita's character. Yes if I dare just throw a spoilers yeah. in for later, is that she gets pregnant and has a child, kind of accidental pregnancy, and has a child barely even realizing she was pregnant. Yeah. We never really get anything from that plot in terms of Anita. It's really it's really interesting because the way that works, because of the time jumps between episodes, like suddenly we find out she's pregnant and then there's a whole episode where there's a baby. But, but yeah, you never feel at all invested in that really mm. well that's it the whole point is there a baby they don't know whose it is and at the end mm. it turns out it's anita's and then we get the next episode she pops in to visit because she's on maternity leave yeah and then the episode after that she's like oh can i start coming back a few mornings mm. yeah of course you can never even they're like oh who's looking after the baby my mom you know the episode where she came back in on maternity leave i don't know it must have been a couple of days since i'd watched the previous episode and i'd forgotten yeah. she'd had a baby <laughs> because it was so throwaway yeah and and that's Perhaps what I've been sort of needling at in terms of the writing and the structure, there's these kind of things. It, it feels like we're deliberately not getting much of their lives outside of work, but then we're also using their personal lives for plot points. So we need to find that balance somewhere. Mm-hmm. We get a mention later on. Anita Anita says something along the lines of like, oh, I only work here just to get me out of the house kind of thing. Like, there's a sense she doesn't need the money. Yeah, she can yeah. raise this child on her own and like she'll be okay. But she's also completely thick. Like, yeah, I mean, that's, the, that's, the, character. that's the main characterization of Anita. She's just dense. She's really thick. Mm. Like she doesn't, you know, there's, there's humor mind from the fact that she gets words wrong and she misremembers things. But that's not, it's not just that, you know, it's like that she's got absolutely no common sense. She's got no, nothing between the ears, you know. Anita, can you take another jug of juice up to the meeting? A lot of ice. Cold ice. Please. Again, credit to the writing and performance that doesn't just come across as a silly comedy character. I mean, it's a comedy character, but it it feels like it's... It it sort of does to me. She's my least favourite character. I I think it's just too too broad for my liking. Well, I'll tell you what's really weird. And again, this is just a thing of like, why did they write... Why did you write this? Like... There's a there's an episode later on where we get a work experience girl comes in just for mm. one episode. She's called yeah. Siobhan and she's thick. She's Anita. Yeah. She's a thick girl who doesn't not just doesn't have any experience, but doesn't have any common sense to like yeah. put anything together. Doesn't really add much to the episode. Never see her again. I, yeah, I, I remember that? that episode thinking, what the hell was that about? I'm not really sure what she added. And And, and, and this is Victoria Wood wrote this all on her own redrafted it on her own blah 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 and i'm sure she got notes from the producer and whatever but maybe just let's have a script editor take a look at this and mm. throw like someone you trust let them throw some things at you and and she describes it as a very lonely experience like the writing of it and found it really difficult interesting um because you write a self-contained play or a sketch yeah it sort of serves itself and you can finish it 
I think she was struggled with the kind of never ending plot element of it and ended it to, to get out of that. <laughs> so yeah, there we go. So that's Shubna Gulati. So yeah, and then she was she was in Coronation Street, uh, sort of from in the in the two thousands for like ten a good ten years. Mm-hmm. She was in that like on and off. And of course, she was in Finding Fatima, the well-known um, Muslim romantic comedy. Uh, yes. <laughs> she played a mother in that. And she also here's a little. Uh, this is a tangential sitcom connection, but she's played in the tour of everyone's talking. Everybody's talking about Jamie, the musical. In that touring show, she plays the character of Ray, which was originated by Mina Anwar. Ah, okay. who we saw in uh, the Thin Blue Line. Thin Blue Line. So there we go. That's my tangential we'll <laughs> connection to something we've done before. <laughs> we'll take that. Okay, let's go back to the scene. So we've got one more. Well, we, Jean's not arrived yet. We're still waiting for her to arrive like a hurricane. But there's one more yeah. dinner lady to arrive, and that's Twinkle. Mm. Uh, Maxine Peake. Yeah. Borderline national treasure, Maxine yeah. Peake. <laughs> yeah. So this is her first role, right? Well, there's a few other things she's done prior to this, but she was she was straight out of drama school. Mm-hmm. This was she went to RADA at 21, and this was the thing she did as soon as she came out. So I think she's about 23, 24 here, and and what a role, you know, like what yeah. a part to get when you're just at the well, beginning. Of can I career. tell you? Can I tell you my story about this, which you probably already know because your extensive research. But I, like I've done some research. I was listening to um, I was listening to Alexi Sales podcast, and he had Diane Morgan on, and it turns out that Diane Morgan and Maxine Pika were, were best mates at RADA. And that oh, they really? were both up for this role, and and obviously Maxine Peake got it. I can see, I can see her playing that actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was very that. similar. But because she said, you know, this was this is a role I was born to play, and bloody Maxine got it. But um, <laughs> Alexis Sell said to her, "Well, you know, these things all happen for a reason, and you know, the career that you've got now, you wouldn't have had that if you'd have got dinner ladies." And she went, "No, I'd have had Maxine Peake's career." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the, but the, there's no doubt, de- like Maxine Peake, as much as this role obviously gave her a great start, mm. you kind of don't see her again for a few years. It's not like she jumped straight from this into something else. And this is, and the role here, it's great for getting you noticed, but it's not a role that is kind of really showing off your acting talents. No, no it's not. A Particularly as Maxine Peake has gone on to be a, a, a quite a renowned drama actor rather than sure. comedy. Yes. But, I mean, first thing we've got to notice in the second series is that she's about half the size that she is in the first well, well, series. Well, so, she... step back. The first thing you notice in the, fir- the first episode is, oh my God, that's Maxine Peake. Wh- why is she so big? You know, she's just, bit, you know, bit, I, I'm not fat, trying to body shame anyone here, but she's just a lot bigger than I think <laughs> of Maxine Peake. Maxine Peake, yeah. And, and then come the second series, she's, she's slimmed she's down right, yeah. dramatically to the point where she's wearing a... In the second series, she's wearing like a bodysuit underneath her clothes, like a fat suit, because she was so much thinner that they thought we have to meet her in the middle somewhere. (laughs) But then her face looks really thin. And it's not like it's integral to the character or anything like that. But I think there is, there's an important for the character that Twinkle is not a sexy young woman. Yeah. You know what I mean? She's a normal young woman (laughs) uh, who is like going out and she doesn't really give a shit. She'll go out, get pissed and have a kebab. Yeah. As opposed to, oh, I better worry about my weight and make sure I look mm. good because I'm an actor. That kind of vibe. I think there's a nice contrast between the characters of Anita and Twinkle. So Anita, as we said, she's stupid. She's thick. Mm. Twinkle is not thick. You know, she's no. streetwise. There's a there's a bit in there's a bit in this where it was when Victoria Wood says Nobby Styles, and yeah. uh, and she reels off Nobby Styles' statistics and all that kind of thing. So she she like she she knows stuff. You know, like she'd be good in a pub quiz type of, of, of smarts. What do you reckon then? Are you really three weeks late? Yeah, I am, Bran. Do you know when it might have 
A bit was type thing. Oh, yeah. It's a really nice bloke, actually. We just like watching vids and having a drink and that. And he'd done us a frozen pizza. He just took it out of the oven and, you know. <laughs> Did he use protection? Oven mates. <laughs> but she is a working class young woman who is working in a canteen. You know, she's not, mm. she's not going to university, but she's not thick. She's not thick. She just doesn't care. And she, she knows this is a stupid job that is pointless and like she's not going to go anywhere. And, and she hasn't hit that stage of her life yet where she's going to go, hang on, what do I want to do in my life? You know, like I'm, this isn't enough for me. Uh, so it feels like she will hit that point at some point. But, you know, whatever. We don't we don't get that far with the character. But at this time, she's she works this job because it pays enough money so she can go out and get hammered at the weekend and buy some pills and go raving. Yeah. And that's enough. At her stage in life, that's okay. That is what she enough. wants out of life. Exactly. And, and I think the character's supposed to be like, you know, 1920, that kind of thing. Mm. Like, you know, that's the vibe I get. And it's an, it, I think she's an interesting addition to that group, whereas Anita, as a younger person, doesn't add kind of mm. enough because she, Twinkle can give as much as she gets, you know? And she is a strong character. I like her. I like Twinkle. Yeah. So what what about Maxine Peake then? Yeah. So she, this was, like I say, one of her earlier roles, but she went on to uh, sitcom stuff. She was in Early Doors. She was in the first series of Early Doors in 2003. Yes. First series of Early Doors, but notable for both Maxine Peake and James McAvoy mm. being regular characters and being noticeably absent in the second series because yes. they both got parts in Shameless and went off to do well, that instead. Yeah, so, so that's interesting because I know Shameless is not a sitcom, it's sort of outside of our brief, but the same thing happened. Maxine Peake and James McAvoy were in the first series of Shameless and then when it carried on and sort of went on for years, again, they both disappeared. They, they both went on to bigger things from Shameless as well. Yeah, because they were noticeable good <laughs> no, no, no. like they're really talented like obviously shameless particularly you know like that's packed full of um, acting talent and a lot of them got really great notice from shameless mm. but yeah i mean so i guess sometimes you're just the right place right time maybe young enough that people can go look how much we can do with this person's career and yeah. and they'll take them off uh, but this is all manchester stuff isn't it it's all very northern based stuff and then yeah at some point, you either break out of that or you go and work on Coronation Street. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. So another little sort of comedy connection for us. In 2008, she played Joan Le Measurer in uh, Hancock and Joan, which was a sort of a right. TV drama about the affair between Tony Hancock and I don't think I saw uh, that. Joan Le Measurer. So she played. She was in that. That was just a little comedy connection for us there. And you know, all the stuff. I think mo mostly she's known for drama stuff these days. Mm. And and again, it's it's going to be interesting. She's She's about the same age as you, actually. She's in her late 40s, and mm. it'll be interesting to see where she transfers. Now you're going into that kind of, like, what characters do you play in your 50s as a woman, particularly? Like, that mm. becomes a sort of a grey area. And yes. then for national treasure status, you need to be able to transition into playing um, curmudgeonly old women in period dramas. <laughs> That's the only way to do it. Yeah. She's also very politically active. Yeah, she is. Well, th this is what might prevent her becoming a national treasure. Because yeah. she's very left-wing. She's something of a Corbynite, wouldn't she? Bordering on communist. <laughs> mm, yeah. Good for her. Okay, so let's let's go. So now we've got all our dinner ladies assembled. Now Jean arrives. So we've already talked a little bit about Jean's story here. Mm. But as a character, this recent uh, separation of her marriage, th that aside, as a character, she provides a really good foil for Dolly. Her and Dolly mm. are something of a double act. Dolly's got all these airs and graces and Jean's constantly undercutting and undermining her. And it's, yeah. they, they work really well as a double act. 
and there's a there's a definite idea that they've been friends for years. Mm. They haven't just worked together here, and they, that's how they know each other. It's like when you go to university and try and reinvent yourself, and then your mate from school comes and <laughs> spannering it all, all your work. They are friends, uh, and it's a, a slightly combative relationship, but ultimately, yeah. you know, one with love. Yeah. And interesting that it, and I don't know the full story about this, but Thelma Barlow and Anne Reed are friends from decades well, back. Anne Reed was in, so I know this. Anne Reed was in Coronation Street in its it, when it started. Like she, she was in Coronation yeah. Street in the sixties. She played Ken Barlow's first wife. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that was what she was, you know, most famous for for a, a time. But Anne Reed left Coronation Street before Thelma Barlow joined. Oh my goodness! Wow. That, so that they did not work really together happened. on Coronation Street. That was not how they know each other. But I, I watched Thelma Barlow's "This Is Your Life," uh-huh. and Anne Reed comes out as like an old friend. Oh, you remember when we went on holiday together and this happened? Uh, not okay. as a oh, you worked on this together. So I don't know how they know each other, to be honest, but they obviously okay. run in some similar circles. So Anne Reed, the only thing I really know about Anne Reed is that she had sex with James Bond in The Mother. <laughs> was that after Dinner Ladies? <laughs> Shag Daniel Craig. Yeah, that was after. It was drama with Daniel Craig where yeah. you know, the, the plot is he has an affair with an older woman, Anne Reed being the older woman. And it was a little yeah. bit scandalous. You know, this is this old lady having sex on television. And, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be the same if the age difference was the other way as it is in pretty much everything else. So it was a yeah. sort of interesting, it, it hit the headlines. But confession, I never actually saw it. I don't know if it was any good. And it's great. And it's, it's Daniel Craig pre-Bond, obviously, and mm-hmm. when he was doing proper films. And... Anne Reed post dinner ladies, but you know, she was a well established, you know, dramatic actor before that anyway. And she's again one of those people who's just you just see her all over the place. Oh, yeah. But her early career was marked by Coronation Street. Yeah, she went in that quite early. And she went through RADA as well and all that mm-hmm. kind of thing, rep theatre, all that. Uh, actually she was in a few episodes of Hancock's Half Hour in, really? in the late fifties. That was wow. some of her earlier roles. Joined Coronation Street in nineteen sixty one. And she was in it for 10 years. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and that early Coronation Street when it was really being established yeah. and, and a very significant role and wasn't the comedy role. She was, you know, some pretty dark stuff and nasty things happened to her. She, in the end, she got electrocuted by a hairdryer. Um, oh, that was, <laughs> was but it was a very popular character. It was like one of the big characters yeah. in Coronation Street. She was very famous and very well known. And so she had that kind of hangover of Coronation Street a bit. You know, she, she also, took some time out she had a child and all this sort of stuff so had a little bit of a career break at that point but then comes back in the late 70s 80s victoria wood um straight into victoria wood stuff she appears in a lot of her stuff straight away Mm -hmm. but then you know stage stuff lots of little appearances here and there dramatic comedy she just seems like a really dependable solid actor who will get the job done okay so gene arrives she's in a filthy mood she's rude to everyone and it is obviously very different to her normal character, mm. um, to what we see. Mm. Um, but it's not out of place. It's like, you know, Jean's got that in that viciousness in her. Yes. And she just, all that's changed is she doesn't care anymore about how you feel. And we, we've got a bit here where Bren's got the flowers that Stan gave her. Tony, who, you know, wants to ask Bren out, wants indeed to invite her on holiday. He thinks, oh, she's got a man now. She's got these flowers. The Calagas man. Yeah, because she was supposed to have a date on at the weekend or so, something like that. There's this misunderstanding. But what's annoying about it is that Bren sort of willfully allows this misunderstanding to go on. Why don't you just say, oh, no, Stan gave me those. I didn't go on that date. Well, Stan does specifically say, don't mention it to anyone. I don't I don't want it to get around. It just annoys me. It just, it just feels like there's this whole 
farcical. He thinks one thing, she she knows the other thing, and it's just like why don't you just bloody talk to each other? Oh, it's annoying. Yeah, and the, and there's a lot of that goes on. Yeah, in the first series, even and and you know it's it's their characters. They're both kind of a little bit like oh well, she's obviously oh well yeah. It's because later on when Tony's running around and he's organising a surprise for her birthday, but she reads that as. Mm. Oh, he's running around he's keeping off. secrets from me, obviously yeah. is is knocking someone else off. But even that, she doesn't it's not like, hey, I thought we had something going on. What's going on here? She's like, Oh well, I suppose he's lost interest in me, that's what happens in it, so I'll just not say anything. Yeah. But that's her character. She's put upon, she's she thinks that she's not good enough for everyone. And so it completely works in terms of that character, even mm. if it is frustrating. It feels real. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I don't think it's unrealistic, it's just annoying. <laughs> Yeah, it just feel like Tony could be a bit more forthright. Yeah, and we and we do see that in this episode where he just he, he bites the bullet and asks her to go on holiday with him. Yeah, and everyone around them is like that. And this is a long running thing. Like everyone around them is like, oh god, when they're going to get together? Look, I tell you what, I bet you twenty quid they don't <laughs> get it on by Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> and, and to that end, we get we get another sort of regular character. Yeah, Jane, who's one of the customers, so she works in the building, and she comes mm. every morning. She comes and buys a twelve rounds of white toast. Yeah, and that's that's Sue Devaney who again is someone you sort of crops up in all sorts of things. Well, I knew her face, and when I you know when I IMDb'd her, oh oh Coronation Street for ten years. Okay, I see. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, they're all are. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, Dinner Ladies did a theatre tour in two thousand and nine, mm. based around a few episodes that have been kind of cobbled together. Andrew Dunn was in it as Tony. Shobna Galati was in it, uh, though, and then everyone else was recast. And then they did a new version of it a couple of years later, a little touring thing. And Sue Devaney was in it as Petula Gordino, who is oh, a Julie Walters okay. character. So they brought her in as an actor, but as a different character. Okay. I think I think this character of Jane is sort of an avatar for the whole, the, the rest of the company, you know, the, the, the customers, as it were. Yeah, we we have a nice little line in, in other customers that'll just yeah. pop in and have a few comedy lines. And it's... This, it's a lovely little guest role just pop in for a week and do something. And you, you'll see a lot of faces that you recognize from Victoria Wood things yeah. and, and Coronation Street and all that sort of stuff. The, let, let's get into some meat of the plot here. That being that Jane uh, is, is, is organizing a, a work holiday to Marbella. Marbella. Tony's already going. Someone's dropped out and there's a space. Mm. Does Tony want Bren to go? She obviously wasn't in the original plan. Like, mm. obviously they would get together like, oh, should we take? Oh, Tony's a good laugh. Let's take Tony. They don't think of Bren because they might like her, but they're not, they, she doesn't seem the sort of person you want to take on a work piss up to. Exactly. Marbella. But Tony wants to take her. To be, Jane is like, oh yeah, bring her. That'd be great. But mostly because she doesn't want Steve Greengrass to come. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's it, that I think that says a lot about kind of Bren's relationship to some of the other people in here. Like yeah. she's not part of the fun party gang, but they she like goes her. on to a bed set on her own. Yeah, but they yeah. would they would like hang out with her if they if she wanted to. Yeah, uh, Tony kind of dances around a little bit, but ultimately just goes, "Look, Bren, do you want to come on holiday with us?" Yeah, and uh, pretty quickly she says, "Yeah." We sort of decide that's going to happen, but then a bit obvious. Tony tells Anita that Bren mm. needs to, like, oh, I haven't got time here. Anita, make sure you tell Bren this. Obviously, she's not going to tell it. Because yeah. not only is Anita thick, 
but she's also in love and so she's <laughs> thinking she's only thinking about her boyfriend she's time. mooning around about her new boyfriend which is a nice little thing like that's we've probably all been there where you yeah. like you realize you're mentioning this person too much <laughs> but also mm-hmm. yeah you've got you, when your friend starts talking about someone oh they do that in the between us don't they whenever he mentions <laughs> mentions his girlfriend they all go they all like they smack him in the balls whenever he mentions (laughs) (laughs) like you're saying it's it's annoying when farcical elements uh, are too obvious yes that falls into this category for me oh i'll get anita to tell someone something it's like okay well let's all guess what's going to happen with that and it it only takes like three minutes to pay off or whatever anyway so it's not like yeah it's not like a big dangling plot thread i'll get you it's the same thing when bren comes in the next episode and she's got the money for oh, I've, I've gone to the bank i've got 500 quid it's to pay for my holiday and buy me bikini yeah and then it's like oh you must pay it by ten thirty. yeah don't worry i've got it here it's gonna definitely gonna get paid today yeah and then petula walks in and goes oh i need some i need 500 pounds sure. exactly it's like all right we could be a bit more subtle than this, <laughs> couldn't we well the main plot of um of Jean has moved on a little bit here because she's been successfully been rude to all of her colleagues and they've sort of accepted it but now she's rude to jane who is a customer yeah and this culminates with Jean chucking a slice of toast at Jane and she's left with butter on her face. Yeah. To which I thought, oh, oh, right. So Jean's going to get fired. <laughs> like, you can't do that in a workplace. <laughs> well, this isn't even the last straw, is it? It's. Um... No. Well, this is my point. I, not that she'd get fired. I wasn't expecting, you know, HR to come down and fill up to fire her. But what I was expecting was, okay, this is it. This is when we get the big, okay, I'm sorry. I've, got, I've been so rude to everyone. But it doesn't. It, it carries on even longer. <laughs> And so the, the kind of the last straw is she's just going to turn on everyone and, and finally Bren is the one who says, like, no, th- stop. Yeah. If you're going to throw toast at someone, chuck it at him. I'm dealing with this in my own way. Then get another way, Jean, because your way's rubbish. We've had enough, actually. We don't want to work with you anymore, actually. There's too many actuallys, but you know what I'm saying. Now go and sit in that flipping office, will you? And we'll decide what's going to happen about this. And don't say any more horrible things. Just go. And it, it does feel perfectly realistic that Jean, because Jean comes out and goes, I'm sorry, I know I'm, I'm at rock bottom, I need help. Mm. And it feels realistic that, like, you know, someone just needed to say it. Someone needed to break yeah. the spell and, and, and that's all right. It's a nice moment. But then what happens? Her, her sister comes and picks her up. And we have a bit of fun with the sister. But oh, the sister. See, again, this is another example of a, a character that's in literally half a scene. And every line she has is just brilliant. Oh, will you get back? More to wait. With no man in the car, no thank you. No point begging to be ram-raided. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Which doesn't really make sense, but it's doesn't very, make any very sense funny. at all. <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, again, that's Linda Bassett there, who's, one of, again, one of those faces you just sort of, you know, of yeah. this kind of thing. And, but again, what does that add? Where, and, and ultimately, all that happens is Jean goes off and comes back a couple of episodes later, re- revitalised. Mm-hmm we've never heard mentioned of her having a sister before. It's That's kind of out of nowhere. It's a sketch. That's it. It's a sketch. And it's not adding anything. It's developing a character for an overarching character movement for the series, not for this episode. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm kind of getting at, as in I don't quite like the way that that comes together. And it's it's funny and it's adding to the character. So it's fine. It all works. But it doesn't feel like good episodic writing. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. It, it, I, I, I loved it. I loved it. But now you've just yeah. ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but, no, no, I don't mean that. I'm exaggerating. What I mean is 
your criticism is accurate, but for me, it's just such a great scene, great little character moment. I, I think it's great. But I think Wood's character and dialogue overcomes some structural issues. I'm not yes. saying these are all fatal flaws, but I'm th- I think... I think she gets right. away with certain things because she's such a great dialogue writer. Yeah. But, but writing a kind of continuous plot like this that is episodic is a different kind of skill, I guess. And, and, and perhaps just one she hadn't done that much. If she, did it, if she did it again, which she never did make another sitcom. Perhaps Without the dialogue, amazing. that character is completely superfluous. Like, you, as you said, yeah. Jean could yeah. just disappear or Jean could be sort of, you know, come out and apologize and off she goes. I'm going to stay with my sister. That's it. We never yeah. see the sister again. There's no reason to have her there other than I've got this excellent dialogue I want to put in someone's mouth. Yeah, and that's fine. That's enough. Yeah, it is. Yes, that's my point. That is enough. That is great. I love it. Yeah. Okay, so we do have... We have Steve Greengrass here, played by Steve um, Housen. Housen, I'm not sure. I don't know him. His name. He's really best known because he's in the Full Monty. He's one of the. Oh, kind of, of main course he guys. is. He's the one who wants to kill himself. I didn't recognise him, but yes, of course, yes. So that's kind of what you're going to know him from. He was in Coronation Street as a regular. Oh, reform, not sure. <laughs> um, And then we also have another actor who just appears as a as a one of our people who just appears as a customer, has a few lines, mm. and then disappears. In this case, it's Judy Flynn. Yeah, who was she? Just come off as being a regular on the British Empire. That's in terms of sitcom world. That's what she's better known. And then towards the end, before we deal with the end of the plot, let's deal with the last of our major characters who we haven't talked about. Yeah. So in the last scene here, we get um, Petula comes in, who is Bren's mum, mm-hmm. played by Julie Walters. Yes. So in the background, or off-screen, indeed. Greengrass has fallen down the stairs, broken his mm-hmm. knee, and therefore Bren can go on holiday. That's that's where we are going with this scene. That's where we're moving but, to, yeah. But that's just happening in the background. What's actually happening is that Julie Walters is stealing the show. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and it's the most memorable character from the show. She's only in about half the episodes. And in this particular episode, is really just there for a bit of comic relief. Like, mm. she doesn't really add anything. Although, she is... Uh, setting up something that's going to develop yeah, later. Yeah. That... Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm back. And this will tickle you. I'm pregnant. <laughs> uh, ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Just the way she enters and and gets in a round of applause immediately. She's a complete fantasist. She's yeah. disgusting. <laughs> like, you know, physically <laughs> repellent. But, and, and uh, you know, an awful mother. You know, we, we've established that Brenda grew up in care because this absent mother. But also, in I don't think it gets mentioned in the show, but I was looking at something, they were talking about Julie Walters playing the character and she had to have aged up because yeah. the character is 55. Most all. Well, exactly, because Victoria Wood's character is 41. Ah, okay. Now that's that's possible and perhaps makes a bit more sense why she wasn't a good mother and put her in yes, care. Yes. I, and I don't think it's mentioned in the show, but I read that's somewhere she was supposed to be 55. And the characters, like the character's pretty horrible, and I don't, I don't like the character, but yeah. my god, the the delivery is incredible. So, so, Mr. Winston does the ultrasound, goes like a dream, then takes off those glasses of his. He says, "Pachula Gordino, you have the uterus of a Wimbledon champion." <laughs> And it is, again, a great writing, great performance to make a really unlikable character, yeah. a, a funny presence, a charming presence in a lot of ways, yeah. and not just hated. Uh, mm-hmm. And that does take some doing. She comes in with a variety of men. In this episode, she's got this chap with her who never says a word. He's just this sort of meek, 
balding, paunchy Asian fella. And she's she's so funny. She she describes him as Reg. He's an Asian Roger Moore. Look at him, pure animal. He's like a panther. Like a boiled spring. <laughs> and this, and, we, and while she's saying this, we cut across to him, and he's just he's sort of picking up Kit Kats and weighing them up in his hand and putting them back. <laughs> and again, just for some nice little wordplay. Oh, I, I asked him if I could wind my legs down onto his hard standing, and he jumped at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that. <laughs> There's a lovely and and Julie Walter. I mean, like I have been watching some more Victoria Wood stuff recently, just yeah. and kind of get the the vibe of this. And Julie Walter's just great in everything, and she and it does feel like she's playing a different character in everything she does. I watched Pat and Margaret, for example, and she's in Pat and Margaret, you know, which is which isn't that funny. It's more of a light drama. It's not really mm. comedy, and the character she plays in is kind of nasty and unpleasant yeah. and but in a realistic way and it's not a fun character and it's not a funny character but she plays it just as well what year was educating rita was she nominated for an oscar for that yeah 1983 and she, 1983 yeah, that was, yeah. so she is an oscar nominated actor mm. and she's still doing victoria wood this is julie walters i know she's mates with victoria but she don't need to be doing this anymore why is she doing this yeah, well, just because you're Oscar nominated doesn't mean you're sort of in Hollywood now. It was a um, relatively small British film mm. that just got attention, and obviously yeah. it helps your career. But she, but she still... I think, I think my point really was that that she proved herself to be a you know a world class serious actor, mm. and she was coming back and doing this sketch show. Yeah, well, I think you've got to remember that that was not insignificant for a start. She loves working with Victoria Wood. Mm. Secondly, they're friends. They are personal yeah. friends as well. Were And Victoria Wood is writing stuff for her. And she says, she's said numerous times, Mrs. Overall, favorite character I've ever played. Yeah. You know, it's doing stuff that you're going to enjoy, stuff yeah. you're having fun with, and you can do it between, you know, a, a six month run. Yes, of course. Uh, the Garrick or whatever you're doing on something. I, I, I would imagine that no matter how fa- no matter how famous and you get your Hollywood at your feet, then you you still not get anyone writing anything this good for you. But she's never gone Hollywood though, has she? She you know yes she Harry she Potter. Got, well, exactly. So she's done. She did that. She did the educating Rita got an Oscar nominated for that. Oscar nominated again for Billy Elliot, that's right, which yeah. is you know again, 15, British film, seventeen years later, British film. She's playing a very British character. But again, got a lot of notice for that. She's a totally different age by that point, different generation. Harry Potter straight after that, which, uh, you know, as much as, yeah, Harry Potter is a Hollywood thing, it was still a British industry. And, you know, she's playing that character alongside Mark Williams. Mark Williams isn't a national treasure. As much as we like him, <laughs> he's, it was a different, that's a different level, isn't it? Yeah. But that's the sort of thing you, you get Julie Walters in for. And, and then just consistently working stage, screen, everything she wants to do. She's a dame now. Did you know she was a dame? Yeah, I did know that. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, so I, like, I, you know how I feel about the honor system. I'm not. But yeah, that. but I mean, that, talk about national treasure. <laughs> Interestingly, I think Julie Walters is kind of retired now. She's sort of definitely slowing down. She um, Interesting. She got cancer a few years ago and as far as I can tell came through it, but took that as a sort of slowing down point. Cuz she's only 70, early 70s, you know. She's um compared to for example Thelma Barlow, who was about 70 when this show was made. <laughs> so, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so Still plenty of life left in her if, uh, if she wants to go and do those older lady roles. Mm-hmm. So, very end of the show, very end of the episode here, 
we get the the little conclusion. And I actually really like this. I mean, I've been moaning a little bit about structural stuff in terms of writing, but I actually really like the ending because it draws together a lot of things. Yeah. Steve Greengrass's, oh, you know what? I always love going on holiday, but something always happens. Something happens. He slips. Yeah. Anita has dropped the orange juice. She comes in and says, oh, I've spilled orange juice. Don't worry. You'll just get off home. I'll sort it. Bren, I'll do everything, but then yeah. gets distracted. But Anita's stupid. She just drops stuff and walks away from it. Yeah. That was set up earlier, but it didn't feel like an obvious setup. It just felt like a bit of character stuff. We've got the whole plot about the holiday thing. It's Steve Greengrass who's fallen down. They're running around trying to save that. It's all nice. It comes together beautifully. And then we have the end moment. I like the way it then plays out. So whilst we've got Julie Walters and Victoria Wood having this this interaction, in the meantime, you've got Stan running around behind saying, oh, someone's fallen, someone's fallen, we've got to get the ambulance. And that's kind of happening Almost in the background of this scene. Yeah, you you know it's kind of going somewhere. You know something's got to happen with all this. Mm-hmm. But you're distracted by the central scene of Petula and, and Bren. Um, and then at the very end, Tony comes in like, it doesn't matter what's happened. It's important who it's happened to. And it kind of, it works for comedically, but Bren isn't thick. Why it takes so long for it to be like for the penny to drop with her, yeah. what's happening, does feel a bit... Yes. But there, yeah, the the end result being that Bren can go on holiday with them after all. That will definitely happen and all go off smoothly. Okay, well, I think we've probably finished our episode. Do you want to just talk about, you said you didn't like the way the series ended particularly. Let's talk about that a bit more. It just feels a bit all rushed together and I can't work out the circumstances. Did Victoria Wood decide she wanted to end it all and so wrote an ending into it? Was this originally written with an idea that might be another series? And then she was like, when Mm. in the process of writing, which she found very difficult, she suddenly kind of went like, now I'm going to finish this off. Because as much as there's things running through, these plot elements that are running through, Mm. the ending things feel a bit rushed. So all of a sudden we get, oh, by the way, Bren's like, apparently she's really good at trivia. Like she's got a really good trivia mind. Mm. And so she's going to go on this TV show and, and win some money. Even though like one of her main character traits is that she can never remember the right name of someone. Like her memory's a little bit scattershot. So in terms of trivia, like that's the worst possible yeah. like thing. All this stuff about the canteen, oh, the canteen's closing down and oh, the job's all going to be gone anyway. And that kind of plays into it. But then at the same yeah. time, in the very last episode, they get given new uniforms. Obviously, like, doesn't make sense in the sense of we're mm-hmm. going to shut the cafeteria like within the week. <laughs> it that doesn't really add anything. But then we also have they they get these new uniforms and it has like branding on it. But we haven't had this whole kind of oh the canteen's being taken over by a corporate giant and we're going to have to fit in. Like we don't get any of that. It just feels dropped on us. It feels like it was a half a plot that didn't get developed or something like a plot idea that never quite played out. There's just lots of things like that that just feel a bit... It feels The last episodes feel a bit, ooh, we better get things finished, rather than yeah, anything okay. else. So, Bren and Tony get together. Gene and Stan get together. Petula dies. <laughs> mm-hmm. But also gives us a bit of an ending in terms of it enables them to get the finances yeah. of what so they, they want. So, they're to wanting get. to basically start a new life in Scotland, and Petula's death facilitates that. Yeah. They find all this money. And obviously the first thing she does is gives it out to everyone else. <laughs> Bren. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that means everyone else is just kind of like, oh, I can go off and do that. I think I wanted to do. And yeah. I think it's a nice, happy ending. I think it's nice. I, yeah. I agree with you. It's very contrived. It, it, it feels like I want to use an analogy of round a plug hole. Like everything's spinning around this end and it suddenly at the end, it all just falls into place. And yes, it is a bit jarring. But nevertheless, it's a nice, happy ending. I, I, I liked it. 
No, I, yeah, I agree. I'd rather have a sort of a contrite, happy ending than no ending or a kind of... I think I think the most appropriate ending would have been Tony and Bren get away and the rest of them are just there and, like, someone new comes in and it's like that. Life goes on. That's... Yeah. That, because that, if that's the endearing message of Dinner Ladies and potentially Victoria Woods kind of work at all, it's like, this is our life and we just get on with it. And the happy ending is Bren escaping from that because that's who we really care about. And, yeah. and Tony as well, you know, that's fine that he's the vector for that. And what they're escaping to is not like, oh, we won the lottery and we're going to go away. It's like, well, if we just get enough money together, we can buy a share in this bistro pub and we can mm -hmm. run the, the restaurant. They're going to just a slightly more independent in control of their own life but it's still going to be a hard life and they're but they're going to be together and all this yeah that's as happy as it gets yeah i don't think it'll work <laughs> yeah i don't think it'll I'll work it I, don't, I think it'll last a year if that <laughs> uh yeah and 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 everyone else like life goes on maybe you could yeah. have a bit of like some you know gene's got a new man and like things like that and it's all right but mm -hmm. They're trying to tie in the, oh, well, these big factories like this are closing down. The canteen's closing down. We're just going to have a sandwich trolley. And it is a bit, like, it's a bit sad. And But it's not, it's not, it doesn't quite do enough to be social commentary on what's happening in industry in Britain in 1998 or whatever it is. Just doesn't quite do enough. Eh, I'm, I'm being nitpicky, I know. but uh, and, it, and it does feel like a Victoria Wood going, right, this is the last thing I'm doing with this. Let's give them mm -hmm. a nice little happy ending. And I think that's yeah. all right. <laughs> one one la very last thing I just want to address is how directly they deal with the Minellium. Yeah. They literally have an episode on New Year's Eve and like things are happening yeah. and they all get trapped in the thing together. But it, it really places it in time. Obviously, it shows yeah. its age, but it's like, that was a thing. The Millennium, New Year, like two, New Year's 2000. It was a whole cultural thing that was happening at the time. And these episodes were going out at that time. So it was yeah. it was relevant. And I just like that it ties into that. It doesn't really do well, I think so, but directly with it. It's funny, isn't it? That I don't think like the millennium at the time felt like this is a big deal, you know. It was there was the whole white year two K thing, but I don't really mean that. I mean the it, yeah, this is a, a, a cultural moment, you know. Yeah. But yeah, yeah it's twenty twenty two as we record this, you look back at it and you think, well, it wasn't really, was it? You know. No big I mean, deal. It's a completely arbitrary date. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's yeah. pointless. But So I think it is interesting when you watch this episode that, because it, it felt weird to me. It felt weird, like, oh, the Minellium. Oh, yeah, what, what, what's the, you know, that's it's hardly worth making an episode about. But, <laughs> but it was, it was. It absolutely was a big deal in 1999. Yeah. We were, oh, God, this is a big thing, you know. Yeah, and then, like, just having it as a New Year's Eve episode, it wouldn't be much different. Mm. But it feels like, Oh yeah, we do the Christmas episode because it's going to go out at Christmas. We've got to do a New Year's Eve episode because it's millennium. It's like you've got to do it, you know. It's rather than just a New Year's Eve thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, interesting. Yeah, you never get New Year's episodes of sitcoms, do you? We get lots of Christmas episodes, but well, we do of course have the Time Gentleman Please one straight after the Christmas one. That yeah, well, we Time at. Gentleman Please is slightly different because you know <laughs> he had a lot of episodes to fill. <laughs> <laughs> Any anything I can hang this on to. <laughs> right, so dinner ladies then. Come on, wrap it up. Sum, sum up your thoughts. I know you obviously you enjoyed it a great deal and I did as well, but yeah. go on. Well, I think it I, I, I think you used the word charming earlier. And it is charming. I think your criticism about all the characters speaking in the same same manner, 
I think that is yeah. a fair criticism, and, and realistically, that wouldn't be true. But, you know, it is fiction. And and frankly, I just love the way that they speak. I love the dialogue yeah. so much that I, I can forgive it. You've picked a few structural problems with it, which, again, I'm not really arguing with you about, but I hadn't really noticed them much because I just loved the the wordplay so much and to me that is what i enjoy we've had we've talked about this before it's that it's that sort of beautiful language that i really like that specificity that victoria mm. wood specializes in that is right up my alley and yeah i i really love this I, I i i'm just sorry i've never seen it before yeah i'm surprised you never have actually that's a i think there's a, a little bit of a window in your life where yeah, it's just in that hazy, it's just in that window of yeah where i was letting my hair down <laughs> Yeah, I, I I really enjoy it. Like I said, I've been a little bit nitpicky with it. And it, that actually became worse for me because I went back and started watching some other Victoria Wood stuff. And uh-huh. I started seeing these same characters with the same voices and the same thing like 15 years earlier. And again, that's her style. And it's always still funny. And the characters still come through. I think that's important. The characters are always strong. Mm you start seeing the same things again and again and it's a little bit like okay there's definitely some crutches involved here there's some there's some things you're leaning on yeah and even the bren character is very similar to the stand-up character that victoria wood is when she's doing her stand-up bits it's got a lot of similar mannerisms this feels like this bren character is victoria wood's kind of every woman state i'm presenting my my neuroses to you style of of acting so it's it's not a criticism necessarily, more of an observation, I think. Just like, okay, look, here's what I'm noticing, uh, sort of at a second glance. Mm-hmm. And we we haven't really, what, one thing we haven't really addressed, actually, in any great way, is that this is a female-dominated cast. That's true. In, in a way we, we saw in the rag trade. You know, it's all women, and then there's the male foreman and the slightly yeah. inept boss and, and that yeah. sort of thing. And I think that is crucial, because when we watched that, it felt like it was a statement here it doesn't feel like it's saying something about female empowerment. Mm. It feels like it's just telling a, a, a story that happens to be women. Yeah. And that's what Victoria Wood is great at. It, it yeah. never feels like a token effort to be a, a female-driven story. She writes for women because, perhaps just because that's what she knows, perhaps because that's what she finds most interesting, whatever. But it's, mm-hmm. tr- it's true and it feels honest rather than trying to do something. And the rag trade was written by men, so you know, like that's the difference. Yeah, yeah. In the same way that that Carla Lane's stuff, well, maybe not bread, but butterflies, it feels like it's written from a woman's point of view because it is. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And you know, Victoria Wood, well, she died in 2016, didn't she? You know, she died prematurely. I think she had cancer, didn't she? In fact, I, I remember the papers describing it as her secret fight with cancer. And it wasn't secret, it was private. But, yeah. you know, the papers don't know the difference between those two. They ignore both. So when she died, there was a sort of genuine outpouring of of loss and grief from both from the public and from people within the entertainment industry. And I I, I think that, you know, we've sort of jokingly used the term national treasure all, all the way through this episode. But she seems like she, she was genuinely loved, not just for her talent, yeah. but it seems like she was a, a, a much appreciated person. It was a, a joy to watch again. Yeah, really, really. Thank you for, because uh, this was your idea, this one. Thank you for suggesting this. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter, at BritComPod, or on Facebook. If you search for British Sitcom History Podcast, you'll find us there. See ya. Bye.